The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to your Thursday club. This is Fulhamish in partnership with The Athletic. My name is is Jack Collins and I am in the hot seat sitting in for Sammy, which means that the Thursday club is only too strong today. And I'm joined by Chief Fulham writer at The Athletic, Mr. Peter Rutz. So you've been promoted again, mate. I uh, know, I know. I, I'm finding this very strange. I'm missing Sammy's... Infu- Not that you weren't enthusiastic, Jack, but um, I don't know. Maybe it's Sammy's dulcet tones, his iconic voice. I mean, you're going to have got a lot of work to do here, mate. We're going to be missing the foghorn, I think, is my, my the thing I'm going to miss most in this episode. Oh, you know, I, d- yeah. I don't have a foghorn button in the way that Sammy does. Um, so that's quite upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I, I could just make it. With, Use that for some kind of horn. I could just make it with my with my mouth. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's something <laughs> that I'll treat you to at the end of the episode if you're lucky. Um, but <laughs> since we've done a Fulhamish episode last, there has been well a deadline day, um, and that's where we're going to start today's episode. And Fulham brought you know as as is custom two people in on the deadline pretty much between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock start we signed Domingos Kina and Nathaniel Chalaber from Watford bringing them back under the tutelage of former manager Marco Silva of course and Peter it did feel like it's become one of those things that Fulham have to put in a couple of deal sheets just just at the end just to really like get us excited again yeah, I think I was having a conversation because I went I went into the athletic office into Athletic Towers for for the for the day and uh, one of the conversations was oh you know are you going to be busy I was like well of course we're going to be busy I'm going to be here until one a.m. and uh, lo and behold I was there until the early hours uh, waiting for Fulham to sign seal and deliver uh, two two new faces um, I, th- I think as a, I wrote in a piece today it didn't feel as you know urgent this year it didn't feel as though there were cracks to be papered over. Um, it felt like this was a window, a deadline day where if there was good business to be done, um, then Fulham should do it and, and, and make the right additions. Um, it, it, it was almost, you know, I mean, we think back to last year and, and that desperate urge to get central defenders and just the whole feel of it. I mean, post, uh, was it the Aston Villa game? where you had Tony Khan tweeting about the, the situation with defenders. Uh, Scott Parker in almost every press conference calling for new signings. And uh, and then, and then, then of course, it, it went on into the night. And and those arrivals did come and they did come through the door. And it was like, there was that sort of relief. Um, this year, it was a, a sense of, well, you know, kind of job done. And it, it sort of you know, went into the evening. I think, you know, we can talk about needing a right back, but they went into the evening thinking, right, we need to replace Anguissa because he's gone out the door. Um, try and strengthen that midfield. Can we get a right back uh, if, if the opp- opportunity presents? Nearly did in in Reggie Cannon, um, and then yeah, and I mean, and once once that had gone through, once they'd been signed, sealed, and delivered, it was it was all good. I think it did. The only thing, and, and it, of course, with with the situation surrounding Matt Grimes, and we can talk about that at, at greater length. Um, it got that sense of well, where, where, what's happening here? Is there sort of are we scrambling around in the dark? But from from sort of the discussions I was having on the day and subsequently, it didn't really seem that way. And I guess that that sort of reflects the the positive feel of everything so far this this summer. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's one of those things where you went in and I was saying this on the Jack and Joe show on YouTube at the time that it felt like we were like, okay, if something comes in, 
that's a bonus now. It felt like the squad was strong enough. Yes, we're a wee bit light in, in centre midfield and you can roll with that. And obviously we got those reinforcements in. But even if they hadn't come in, I think most fans would have felt that there was enough in the tank to get through at least to January you know, with, with the squad that Fulham currently had. And in the vein that Fulham are playing at the moment, additions didn't feel too necessary. I think something that's maybe jumped out to me is that Fulham currently have one loan. And and that's amazing, mm. considering where where we were at this point last year, right? The, the one loan that Fulham have is Domingos Kina, who has an option, as I'm sure we'll discuss, and we'll come on to all the players individually. But when you compare that to last year, where Ariola was on loan, Anderson was on loan, Loftus-Cheek was on loan, Lamina was on loan, Lukman was on loan, Madja was on loan, Aina was on loan. We had seven loanees in the squad last year. This year we have one. And that difference, and, and I think maybe we'll, we'll come on to what exactly it means and how the market feels so different and how Fulham feel different and how this window felt different, is that for the first time in a while, you look at the squad and you go, right, yes, we do need to pick up some players if we get promoted. And, and if, if that happens, we'll need to strengthen the squad. Everyone needs to strengthen the squad when they go up. But we're not going to have to spend half our budget on making loans permanent. And that in itself feels like a positive from where Fulham have been over the last couple of years. Even in the championship a couple of years ago, you know, um, Anthony Knockart, Ivan Caviero, And those were deals that weren't, you know, when you talk about knockout, it wasn't the best deal in terms of what it tied Fulham to. I think I think at the time, when you look at knockout, you think, oh, OK, championship pedigree, been promoted a few times, clearly hasn't worked out, didn't work out at Forest last year. And he, he's, of course, still still on the books now. Um, Caviero was seen a bit more of, but the way those deals were sort of structured, um, it, they, they weren't, it wasn't in Fulham's best interest, I don't think, in the longer term. Uh, this year, I think it, it's not just that um, there aren't those loans. It, you look at the players that have been brought in on permanence, and I think we'll talk about the window in a, a more general sense in a bit, but you look at like Wilson and you look at Rodrigo Muniz, who's what, 20, Wilson's still 24, um, Shadow's 26, um, Keener's 21. It, th- these are players with that, that elevation, that, that space to grow, and, and, and the permanent guys on, on the books, you know, Anthony Robinson, uh, Harrison Reed's still in, in the middle of his career, and uh, Kenny Tetter, we've talked about, and uh, Toss and Adrabio, but you know there there is that young good, nice balance, yeah, nice balance to the squad, um, as well as some of those those more experienced heads who have got promotion before, and it, it feels like the squad's in a much better place, and and yeah, and I think the, the fact there is one loan uh, in Kina, and I think that and also sort of makes sense. I think on the day with with Chalabar, um, it was one of those that could have been a loan. I think it was trying to work out which way it was going to go. Uh, but 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 in Keener, you know, he's a player who's not had those uh, minutes or appearances to really back up and say, Do you know what, this is going to be a, a great addition. It's it's almost there's a little unknown there, and I think that loan gives a, a bit of flexibility. So it, it's certainly certainly a change, and uh, it's a welcome one, I think, particularly in terms of you know we've talked length about squad planning, and you know Scott Parker's grievances at the end of the last season were about the squad turnover, and, and he was right. You know, Marco Silva's picked up on it. A couple of times in his press conferences where he said almost pointedly where he's saying look this isn't the same squad as if you know with Fulham going down everyone's saying oh they've got a great squad they've kept all their players and he's like no we haven't we haven't you know you compare it to uh to other other sides even in the championship I think I, I saw a statistic that the Fulham have actually got in percentage terms they've had the biggest turnover of actual players in their squad because of the players who've left like the, the well first starting 11 I think 
um, because of those low knees. Uh, and that, that change is difficult. And it's difficult to manage in terms of the, the other players in the squad, those who are, who are cast aside. You know, there is an element of squad management there that, uh, that needs to be considered as well. But, I, you know, I, it, 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 it's, it feels like things are moving away from those those major changes, those major changes that we've seen and, and, and the fluctuation of numbers as well. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those where just that instability continues to breed instability, right? Until you set it on and it's building a palace on quicksand in many ways when you're relying on it. And I think it's interesting because you can understand why the loans came in in the way they did. And you look at Cavalero and Knockart and the way that the squad was put together at that point felt relatively sensible off the back of what had happened the year before in the Premier League, where loads of money had been splashed. Certain players hadn't made the grade. We'd spent you know, big fees on getting people through the door, giving them long-term contracts. And suddenly you've gone, right, OK, let's get proven quality in the division that we're in on loans with, well, what we thought were options turned out to be obligations. That's what's burnt the bridges there. Now, last year, made that change to go to loans with options but if you get relegated there's a lot of those that don't want to take up those options or, or there is those options are are predicated on the fact that you stay in the Premier League and it feels like we've slowly in the four years perhaps worked our way towards a solution that feels like it's more wholesome and, and, and more stable. Yeah absolutely absolutely. Let's talk about deadline day itself then, right? And I suppose there was a couple of names chucked around. There was obviously Keener and Chala, but there was Matt Grimes, who's been chucked around for the entire summer, you know, when uh, at Fulham. There's Reggie Cannon, which has come out belatedly um, about Bovista. And, and earlier in the day, there was a couple more names throwing around. Emil Kraft from Newcastle was chucked about for a little bit. Uh, there was talk of Zaifwick from Hertha Berlin. Um, a couple of, uh, of right backs, a couple of centre midfielders. What was your experience of, of what was going on on the day? I think coming into it, obviously once over the weekend, I think it, it, it sort of starts from the weekend really. You know, once once Anguissa had come out and it wasn't just that he was, you know, there was a link to Napoli. It was quite clear that this was one that had had wheels, had legs and um, and, and was going to go through. And then from that point, Fulham started to move. And I, there was the bid for Matt Grimes uh, on Sunday, which was uh, rejected by Swansea. And that was, I think at that point, there was a sense from both sides that, that Fulham probably weren't going to return. Um, there'd been an inquiry, I think, into William Carvalho at Batiste. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't clear. But then, that's what the the noises were, but at the same time, you thought, "Well, th- this is Fulham. I can't I can't see them Fulham not coming back in for for Grimes on, on the final day." And 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 that's that's exactly what happened. Um, they went back in for him, made another bid, another bid that was rejected, and it was at that point that that Fulham, you know, pretty much moved on. Um, you know, they they had a valuation of what they thought Grimes was worth. Um, Swansea had theirs, and once it was clear that Swansea weren't going to move. Fulham turned to to other targets. Grimes, Grimes is an in- interesting one because you know there were those rumours quite early in the window about him, and I yeah. think you know I think uh, he was one that whenever I was sort of asking about you know what what Fulham are looking to do, you know the the response would be yeah he's he's sort of liked, um, but there wasn't there hadn't been anything concrete there hadn't been that sort of movement to to actually get him and I, and I, I do wonder and I don't know this for sure but I do wonder how much that's tied to the players that were there. You know, we, we've seen someone come in after Anguissa has left. And, you know, we, we've known that Anguissa's wanted to go since, you know, I think pretty much the start of the summer. He didn't, he didn't want to play in the championship, didn't want to play in the championship two years ago. And 
I think he's been quite open and honest with, with the club about that. Um, so once though, once someone like Anguissa or, or Jean-Michel Serri, once they hadn't moved on, I think there was that question of, well, are we going to be left with them? Not in the sense that that's a bad thing. We know how good Anguissa is. But if there, if a deal wasn't to be done, then, you know, you're going to bring someone in and then suddenly you've got a bit of a, a bit of a problem in in terms of your options. So it didn't surprise me that we then started to see movement once Anguissa had actually gone and that, and there was that sort of connection. Um, Nat Chalabar, of course, I guess for some, it may have come a little out of the blue. Um, my colleague at Watford, Adam Leventhal, had highlighted that, you know, that Chalabar had that silver connection. Chalabar was there when, when Silver was appointed in 2017, played in, the, in, I think, the first five games of the season, uh, did really, really well, got an England call up um, and then had a really serious knee injury, which is sort of, disrupted his uh, career to date so there was that connection Silva certainly liked him gave him a really good sort of reference um for him and and and, and I think put forward his name so um he so w- once I think once it was clear that Grimes wasn't happening I think Fulham turned their attention to to, to Watford and and to uh and to Chalabar and there was a deal to be done for, for Kina um I think in terms of his sort of situation there was a bit of uncertainty throughout the summer with him because he'd been on loan at Granada and then we moved on to, you know, the start of the Premier League season. It was clear he wasn't in Shisco's plans. And then they started to look for, for some options. And there was other interest. You know, Bournemouth were, were another one who were looking at him. Um, and, I, you know, once, once an, a it's deal could have been It's always good to get done, one over your old voice, isn't it? it, it, it well, I, I wasn't going to say it, but uh, um, yeah, there's certainly some, there's certainly a nice little uh, rivalry there. So um, The ruts of yeah, rivalry. Well, yeah, well, could call it that. <laughs> your words, mate. Um, and, and, and yeah, so once once it got to later in the evening, once, you know, once we started to hear about Chalabar, we heard about, about Kina. Um, he was one that I think had been on the club's radar for a while, but one of those it probably would have been would have seen out out of reach, um, purely on the basis that when he was at West Ham, there were some big clubs sort of sniffing around him, and he wanted that sort of game time. Um, ultimately, went to Watford, and then it's been sort of quiet since then in terms of his appearances and 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 so forth. And and now the opportunity is presented to to bring him bring him to Fulham. So um, both of those both of those ones sort of happened later in the day. Um, it was quite strange because it was a slow start. Then you got the Grimes bid that was rejected, and then then we got heard about Chalabar and, and Kina and, and that one as well. And the, there were other names you mentioned as well, and I, they're ones that you know I, I, I heard otherwise to say that there there was no interest in them, and I'm, I'm sure they would have been considered. But um, it looks like of those, it was Reggie Cannon that I think more more has come out later. I was only able to sort of really confirm what had gone on there uh, well after the deadline. So. He was one that nearly came in from Boa Vista. That would have been a loan. He's um, a US national team fullback. Mm. I think he's behind Serginio Dest in the sort of pecking order there. And um, that one didn't quite make it. Didn't Fulham didn't quite get it over the line, but that was moving to towards a deal. So that would have been the right back. You know, Silva said that after Kenny Tetter's injury, that had altered their plans. Um, the sense I got was that centre mid was the priority coming into the day, purely after Anguissa going. Uh, and then if there was a right back to be done, then then they would. I think Fred Gilbert at uh, Aston Villa was another that was was linked. I think he may have been looked at, but um, he, he wanted to go back to France and and, and did so. Uh, I don't think Emil Kraft was a, was a goer, actually. Um, not to say that it wasn't interest from Fulham, but I think from the player side, it didn't happen. And I think that probably yeah. slowed what Newcastle wanted to do as well. Um, 
so there was a lot lot of moving parts a lot of things to try and keep track of and a lot of things that you you try you you want to you want to say but you have to be absolutely certain and, and it's very difficult when things change so quickly I mean if you take Chalaber and Keener I, I think at the start of the day they, they may have thought they weren't going anywhere but um but things can change quite quickly when when different 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 things change so um in the end Fulham got what what they needed maybe you could they need probably could have gone for a right back but I think with Cyrus Christie not going um I think it that in a sense probably it's understandable a little bit I think you know well, it'd be interesting to see if he's rehabilitated into the squad. We haven't seen anything. Well, exactly. Of, I mean, I, if they had got another right back in, I mean, it would have been what five on the books, which which is a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, so, there's the kind of double youth element of uh, of Stephen Sessegnon and, and Marlon Fossey, which which we don't well, really six talk if you about, include, right? Include Fossey, unless my yeah. Maths is appalling. So, so there's a lot. There's a lot going on there, and a lot of players that you know in in those two youngsters, especially that we haven't seen for a long time. You know, who have who have been injury hit, who've who had such high ceilings, it seemed, when they were coming through as youngsters, and, and who we really haven't seen if they can kind of cut the mustard, I suppose, for a while because of their injury records. Now, that isn't me suggesting that they're going to get chucked in at the deep end because I'd be I'd be surprised. Um, but on the whole, it'd just be interesting to see if if that's what Silver turns to now, or if he sticks with a kind of trusted lieutenant in in Dennis Adoy to fill that gap until until Kenny Tetter's back. I'm intrigued by Reggie Cannon because I've watched him a fair few times, both for the USMNT and at Burvista last year. And I know he came over from Dallas basically with Lille in mind and Lille and Boavista are linked. And we've seen it happen a couple of times with someone like Angel Gomes from Manchester United and a couple of other players who have shifted between them. I believe they're owned by the same group. Um, and, and Reggie Cannon, I think, came in. They had quite high hopes that he was going to step up at Boavista to be, be very good and, and then move on to Lille. And it hasn't really gone for him, you know, not under Gisuelo Ferreira last year. It, it, he, the times I watched him, he struggled a little bit, you know, in a Boavista side that really struggled last year and, and ended up staying up by the skin of their teeth. And, you know, I've seen some kind of thoughts being like, oh, it would have been nice to have three of the four of the USMNT back line. And sure, of course it would. And, you know, on, on paper, that's great. I, I'm not convinced. I'd really like Reggie Cannon to do well. And obviously he's still so young that there's obviously so much room for growth there. And I think they've obviously seen something to bring him over so young and, and kick him into European football and, and try and push him forward. But... There is an element of me that, that that's relatively glad that we're not seeing the the sharp end of that experiment because I have watched him recently and not been convinced by Reggie Cannon's ability. Um, so so we'll see if, if Fulham go back in for that one in January or, or how things pan out. I mean, just want to talk quickly before we move on. We're going to talk about the window as a whole about Keener and, and Chalaber and and what they bring to this side and and how they develop. And and you and I spoke on. On deadline day night about the fact that between them, they basically cover all the positions. And, and perhaps that's the most interesting thing about the pair. We've got a kind of 6-8 hybrid and an 8-10 hybrid. And it means that across Silver's midfield, we might be able to see them slot in across the pack. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think once I, th- I think you wanted a similar profile to, to what Anguisa brings. One of the things Silver, Silver has said when, when talking about wanting to keep Anguisa, if he could, as, as you would... Um, was the fact that he offered something a little bit different um, to the rest of Fulham's midfielders, uh, and I think in 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 Keener and in Chalaba you do have something something different actually. Um, as you say, Keener in particular is much more of that eight ten 
player. I think he's quite versatile. He can play across the forward positions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very much an attack-minded player, uh, and, and that that makes him quite quite useful actually. Um, when you think, I mean, we've we've talked about Fabio Carvalho, and I think Fabio Carvalho is obviously the main man at the moment. But behind him, you know, there's there's not someone you'd say is an absolutely a number ten. Um, Bobby Decadovery can play there. Harry Wilson can play there. Um, but in, in Kino, you've probably got someone who could more comfortably fill that that position. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so also, it, it's not necessarily a pure ten that he's playing as, right? He, you know, it's, this isn't a four-two-three-one. It feels a lot more like a four-three-three a lot of the time. Yeah, it is actually, and uh, that's been quite interesting. It's, it, it, I mean, it does seem to change. It does seem to the change per game. game it, yeah. yeah, and 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 with Carv- and it's normally Carvalho in that position, and how high he will play. And we've seen Carvalho score goals, and I think Silva once is sort of 10 player to, to do that. But then, you know, you, you consider how advanced Josh Onoma is also playing. He's also playing, but almost as that more dynamic option. And and I think that maybe is where, where Chalobah will come in. Now, he's, he is quite a defensive-minded player. Of course, he, he started his career as a, a central defender when he was coming through at, at Chelsea. And, and that was, you know, he sort of changed. Uh, I think after a loan spell at Watford, and then, then I think Mourinho also saw him as a, a midfielder too. So he's got that sort of defensive background. Um, so I think that's where he'll be strongest. Now, I think when we've thought about Anguissa, it, one of the main areas in which, you know, he probably would want to improve and needs to improve is in the final third and, and affecting games in that area. So I'm not going to say they're like for like, like for like, because Anguissa is a, is a very unique player yep. in terms of what he brings to the table. Um, but, but Chalaba will certainly offer that steal, which I think if you look at, say, Jean-Michel Serri as a six, doesn't necessarily bring. Now, Seri has been very good, actually, in that sort of defensive role, sweeping. Uh, but positionally, it can be quite fluid. Um, it's not always the type to cover those areas. Harrison Reed's a different type of profile. He's much more of a ball winner, much higher intensity type of player. Uh, whereas Chalabar, I think, would get that bit more more stability, that steal and that, that possession turnover type. So um, I think in that sense, you do get that different mould and, and, and the same, same with Keener. Well, it's, that, it's being able to mix it up, right? And, and mix it up for different teams. And some teams you're going to want to pass to death. And some teams you're going to have to leave a, a little bit tighter in the middle and, and provide that steel that you talk about. And I find it interesting because I've been watching Keener for, for a while, not only at Granada, but when he was playing in the Portugal under-19s, um, he obviously got one, to one final where he lost to an England side that was, was very, very talented and, and had a one Ryan Sessegnon playing on the left wing um, but also won two years later against Italy in a final another good side that they had Zaniolo and Moise Keane and Sandro Tonali playing in it a, a very good side and interestingly he kind of played as the left hand in a three you know the left centre midfielder in front of a defensive midfielder but probably with a little bit more license to be the attacking mode and I think that's maybe exactly how Silver is setting up with Carvalho, right? Especially mm. in a game like Millwall, where we saw Carvalho kind of driving from deep a lot of the time and and starting to open up in the middle. I think Keane has done that for for long periods, and you know he played with uh, very good sides here. But like Florentino Luis was the right hand pivot of that, if you will, and so he's someone who can obviously play at the base. He's a bit more of a kind of Harrison Reed esque figure. Who, who kind of wins the ball, who's dynamic, who gets about, who, who's happy to snap into challenges. And, and in the other kind of side of things, he, he played alongside Jetson Fernandes, who we saw at Tottenham last year, obviously, but mostly at Benfica, where he kind of was a more attacking option. Yes, he's, he's dynamic. He very much is a pure CM, if you will. Um, but, but playing them together, 
felt like uh, they had a, a defensive midfielder behind them who won the ball a lot. And and in front of them, he had these two kind of ball-playing, you know, driving midfielders in Fernandes and Kina. And, and between them, it felt like they were able to dovetail off each other. And so that's maybe what intrigues me most. Could you play, for example, a Kina and an Onoma together in a game that desired a little bit more work rate and drive in the middle in front of someone like a Harrison Reed who was able to just provide the steel and sweep behind them it would give you that uh, you know that real kind of drive and and energy in the middle that that Fulham perhaps at the moment are you know obviously Fulham are playing beautifully and you wouldn't want to change anything up but there's also the element that at the moment we're quite light and fluid and everything's doing you know really nicely being able to mix it up and change things up late in games and giving yourself those extra options and those extra runners from deep I think is something that maybe Silver's after here and being able to be flexible with with what he's offering, and I think Chalaba and Kina offer that in kind of tandem. Yeah, the six eight six eight ten uh, thing is very interesting. I think it's you know we can in terms of Silver's style, and I think we'll see this more and talk about this more as the season goes on. But it's very very set in what he's doing, and it's very similar to what he's done at previous clubs, both both in England. Um, I think at Everton it was much more of a codified ten and Gilfie Sigurdsson, and I think. There was a sense that this was almost a sort of a sacrifice in sacrificing his style a little bit to to sort of accommodate him because of what yeah. he can bring to the table. Um, but then I'm just thinking of Watford maybe as an example when he first started. So it, this would be before Chalaba's injury. So you would have had Abdullah Dekore, you would have had Nathaniel Chalaba, and you would have had Tom Cleverley. And Tom Cleverley was that sort of eight ten player, the yeah. one who would be that bit more advanced, that one who can link the ball from. The left side, the left winger, the right winger, to the forward to to sort of bounce things around a little bit, uh, and I, yeah, I think in Greece he used Kostas for Tunis, and he would play much more advanced, and he would score more goals. Yeah. So I, it's really interesting how they are set in that way, and you've got players like Jean Michel Seri playing as the six, and maybe Harrison Reed can also play as a six, and Josh Anamar is probably more of an eight because he's he's still advanced, but he's not as advanced, and he's doing that extra bit of work, uh, and then you've got. The, the the sort of eight ten and that that being Carvalho and I think Kina fits in there. I think with Chalaba, may, maybe he fits in the Onoma side. I think as you, I think I, I think I agree. It would be that sort of that sort of uh, position, and then and then maybe there there is that ability to be flexible. And we've seen Reed. I think Reed against Stoke came on and played played in that position that was much higher. And you know he's spoken about I, I, when I spoke to him at the end of last season. He says he wants to add that to his game. He doesn't want to just be that. He when he was younger, he could he was in that more rounded central midfield role, and and maybe Silver can can work on that with him. So there's so there are really good options in there, and I think that's that's the key takeaway now that you know with the championship, I think the games coming up after the international break, it really is Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday uh, for the next sort of month after. Um, there will be injuries, there will be little niggles, there will be times when you want to rest people, and, and Fulham will have the ability to do that. Right, after the break, we are going to be looking a little bit more at this transfer window as a whole. And we have some very special guest insight on our Samba new boy, Rodrigo Muniz. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fullerish podcast with me, Jack Collins, and the Athletics' Peter Rutzler. Hello, sorry, there was a, you know, there's only two, of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on the dynamic here, you know, normal, normally we would chip in at this point, 
Um, wasn't so sure. But yes, hello. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm trying to stick to Sammy's rules. The first time he introduces everyone, everyone says a little bit more. The, f- the second time is just hello. And the third time, Harry, Sammy says all the names. And yeah. then you just roll onwards. But um... See, I wasn't sure if you were going to do that. You know, this this is why it's so new. And it's just, it's really unfamiliar to, to for, for me, mate. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep going. We'll keep going. We'll, it's we plow on. exciting, mate. It's new and exciting for you. The uh, <laughs> the old guard of the listeners will know that this is a, this is a re- semi-regular occurrence. But it hasn't been a Thursday club yet. So, um, so I'll give you the benefit of the doubt but let's talk (laughs) about this transfer window as a whole and I think maybe the first thing to look at is the outs right you look at what's happened here and and obviously the latest out is Andre Frank Zambangis he's gone to Napoli he's going to be playing European football Serie A football at one of the biggest clubs in Italy it feels like the kind of loan that he was after or at least the kind of movies after but I think people were surprised that there was the extra deal the extra year agreed for his contract yeah, yeah, that one, that did come as a, a little surprise. Uh, Keener also had the same thing actually coming from Watford. So they actually did a similar sort of thing, which is, I think, when you have that option, um, I mean, Keener, in Watford's case, it was the option, but being able to do that and being able to persuade Angus to do that is, is a good thing from a financial standpoint. One, in terms of, we go into the real technicalities of how a transfer fee is you know, spread out over the length of a contract. That certainly helps, reduces those annual fees. But then also... Um, you protect the value of the asset. You know, if, if Napoli do not exercise the buy option, which I'm told is is 17.3 million euros, if they decide they don't want to do that, he comes back to Fulham. Um, and rather than it being one year left on his contract and it, there is a real pressure there, there's two years and there's there's more value there and, and, and it allows Fulham to then get a similar deal rather than sort of club coming in and going, oh, do you know what? we want cut price now. Um, if there's an obligation you don't need it if there's an option you do right that's where yeah we're at. yeah yeah and I, the fact Fulham were able to do that the fact um that Fulham and, and, and Tony Khan were able to persuade uh Anguisa to do that um I think Tony Khan had a similar influence when um Villarreal when he went to Villarreal when he came back I think Villarreal came in with an offer um and there was that element of trying to persuade him to to stay because you know he'd done so well there and um and that again that's that that really is a, just a small thing that that makes a big difference. But you know, as you say, he's gone to to Serie A, and he's such an interesting one, Angisi, because I know I know we haven't seen the best of him. We definitely haven't. Um, we've seen those glimpses. Uh, the first season was difficult. It was that transition, and everyone was having a bad time, to be honest. And then did really well at Villarreal. Comes back mm. to Fulham. There were that was that run after the Leicester game. The Leicester game was obviously his like high point, as it turned out, where we all we were raving about him and hoping he would maintain it, and then gets to January and then after January it, it just just didn't work yeah, out for him it just bit, yeah. it's just form went off the ball and um and that, that was that was a bit of a shame but I think it in terms of general perception I think a lot a lot of particular particularly Fulham fans are, are still skeptical about his ability and are not fully convinced and um what I would say is just judging from the interest there was in him and then where he's ended up you know he has ended up playing for as you say Jack uh, a club who are playing in the Europa League, a team that are looking at the Champions League, uh, that is really his level. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it was one of those things. I think there was a sort of disappointment where he wasn't involved against Middlesbrough and, you know, why have you got a player who doesn't want to play? Uh, in reality, it's probably understandable. Um, if you can move, then then you would. And it, certainly in, in his case. And, you know, t- to be fair to him, he did come back into the fold. He did come back into the picture and, and, and did come on. And we've talked about his sort of... Uh, his, his uh, excitable cameo against uh, Millwall. Um, I think I think against Stoke, watching him warm up, I know this was commented about, but I watched him when he walked out of the tunnels after the warm-up. It didn't look like a guy who was going to be there for very long. 
Um, <laughs> very <laughs> much, much less intensity from him, I think, before that game. Um, That's also just a bit how he is, right? Sometimes you oh, just get is, languid. No, but this, this was... Oh, this I was, know. This is, this is this exceptional was another step for, yeah, for yeah, Frank, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to lo- I think to lose Anguissa, of course, I mean, Anguissa in the championship would have been a joke. Um, Maybe unfair. It would have been a bit. And, you know, you've got to do something. You've got to give something back to the second tier pod, guys. <laughs> So, you know, in the end, Fulham, have, have, they've got a replacement and a very good one in, in Chalabra. I mean, wasn't it in January that he was linked with with uh, with Leicester, I think, as part yeah. of that sort of triad deal, which was linked with Hamza Chowdhury going one way and Matty Longstuff going another with Watford and Newcastle. So he's a good player. There's a good player in there. And um, of course, it's a shame to see Frank go. He could still he could still return and we may see him again in Potentially in the Premier League. It's the most chaotic thing ever if he returns again for another season in the Premier <laughs> League. I think people will be like, what is going on here? Like, it's, it's all just a bit mad. But no, I think he'll thrive. I mean, when there was links to Roma, I said it on this pod when it was links to Roma earlier in the summer that I thought he'd thrive in Serie A. I think he'll thrive there for Napoli. Um, it's such a great side and playing alongside the likes of Fabian Ruiz and Zielinski and in that midfield duo and behind the likes of Insigne and Herving Lozano. It's it's going to be some side, um. So I'm excited to see what he can do over there, and you know I wish him nothing but the best. And but we move on to you know to our campaigns, and we move on to to what we brought in, and I suppose the two three we haven't really spoken about yet. Obviously, Paulo Gazaniga, who came in on the same day as Harry Wilson, and then we signed Rodrigo Muniz. And so I mean, Gazaniga and Wilson, I think there was a, a fair bit of. Well, a fair bit of uh, consternation, should we say, when Gazaniga came in, because it felt like, you know, you brought someone in here who's probably about the same level uh, as Marit Rodak and someone who's come in to, to kind of challenge rather than be an understudy. And I think people were excited for Marit Rodak to get shot. Last year mm. was one thing with Alphonse Ariola coming in. At, you know, Fulham for a while had one of the best goalkeepers I think we've ever seen down at the cottage um but definitely someone who was top tier in in world goalkeepers you'd almost say um and and this is a, a little bit different because with that you go okay fine there's one thing being like Marek should get a shot there's another thing saying Fulham have brought in an absolutely elite tier goalkeeper this is a bit different I think people were a little bit put out but to be honest he seems to be growing by game by game he hasn't had much to do so I, I'm finding it quite difficult to make a uh an accurate assessment of, of Gazaniga. Clearly, you know, he's impressing uh, Marco Silva and his staff. You know, Fulham's goalkeeper coach is Hugo Oliveira, uh, who has worked with Edison and Jan Oblak, Jan, your Jordan Pickford. So he, he will know his goalkeepers. Um, I, yeah, I still, I still, part of me thinks the jury's still out. And I think part of that is because we all want Marek Rodak to play. Um because of the fact that he is a young goalkeeper, because of what happened last year, because of the fact, you know, he has done it in the championship, has secured promotion before. It, it's a difficult one. And that makes it, in fairness, quite difficult for, for Gatsuniga to come into that environment and and to make a claim and, and to win people over. And um, it's not like he's being peppered and can make loads of saves to, to show off either. You know, he gets the, he has to stay concentrated for most part of 90 minutes not doing very much and then suddenly there's a cross coming in in the last minute and he's he's got to deal with it and he's had a, a couple of nervy moments and I think you know that's that's why I think there is that sort of added sense of well how good is he and I think your assessment is is pretty good there Jack because it was different with Ariola, wasn't it you know Ariola was a, a cut above and it was okay we can understand that I think it's gonna it's gonna be harder for Rodak to take you know I spoke to him when he was at the Euros uh, with Slovakia and I was surprised at just how disappointed he was uh, that he did, wasn't involved last year. 
Um, and if that was the feeling then, and of course there was a Premier League element and you want to be in the Premier League, uh, and you'd be worried if he wasn't disappointed as well. But I think it will be even more disappointing this year. And, it's, you know, Silva said he doesn't have a number one. Um, and I guess it's, it's for now, it's Gatsuniga's shirt. Um, to lose, until, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And to lose it. And, and until he does, until that happens, then then it's going to be like this. And um, the, the good thing is that Fulham have that, that dynamic. If something does happen to, to one of those goalkeepers, there is another goalkeeper can come in who is more than competent at that level um and and that's that that that's where it's that's where it's uh pretty strong and um and if august, we'll august you know fails we can bring fabry in yes yeah fabry is still here um <laughs> how or why i don't know but fair play to him he's still here i think there was he's been able to leave but um it's not happened so the Turkish window is still open. Let's not rule anything out just yet. But um, but yeah, he's just chilling. So well, look, if it all goes to there, at least we know that Fabry can come in and you know, might be half decent. You never know because we didn't actually really see him. No, no one's seen him in these intervening years. years. So who knows? He years. could come back in and he could be unbelievable. So maybe, maybe he's the answer to all our problems after <laughs> all. Right, let's quickly touch on Harry Wilson. I think we've spoken a lot about him, but you know, there was there were skeptics, and I would include myself in this when when Harry Wilson came in, that we were signing, you know, a better version, I will say. I'll give myself some credit, but of, of kind of an, an Anthony Knockart-esque figure, someone who was gonna cut inside and shoot 30 times a game from ridiculous distances, from bad angles, with no matter if there was people in front of him or not. I think I've been scarred. Um, but on the whole, Harry Wilson has been absolutely exceptional. Hands up. He has been very, very good. Yes, there was the kick out, obviously, against Huddersfield. But when Harry Wilson has been on the pitch for Fulham, he's been very impressive. He has, hasn't he? And I think I'm a little almost, I am a little, not surprised because we saw him with, do it with Derby, but he's clearly thriving in the system and, and the way Silva's playing and the freedom that gives the forward players. We saw that for, for his goal, the first one. Uh, against Stoke City where he's he's drifted over to the left there is that ability to be flexible Carvalho had gone out to the right and links up well on that side and plays off Mitrovic and maybe maybe he's playing with a bit of a, a point to prove um or as if to say look I should be in the Premier League by now um almost as though circumstances conspired a little against him in that you know uh, with the pandemic and, and Liverpool wanting quite a high fee for him and, and, and the fact that he wasn't able to get those moves despite there being some interest and obviously had that season at Bournemouth where, which I, I think we talked about in an earlier pod, but you know it, it wasn't great. I mean, overall, he was good. He was still their top scorer, um, but it was difficult. It was hard. It was a bit more of a slog and um, it just didn't seem to suit him the way they were playing and he wasn't able to affect games. He would drift out of games quite a lot. Clearly, this is a different level. It's a different standard. Um and again, that that will be the question. I guess that that applies to to Mitrovic too, and a couple of other players. You say, well, can you can you hold that in the Premier League? But uh, from what we've seen so far, as you say, it's just been it's just been brilliant when he's been on the field. And um, yeah, at the moment, you back him to get to double figures very very quickly, and and maybe beyond that. And that that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, look, it's about that hunger as well, isn't it? It's about that desire. And we saw something similar with, with the interview yesterday with Domingos Kina and people who said, you know, I'm nervous because I want this to go well. And it's that element, isn't it, that he obviously thinks and Harry Wilson probably similar that they haven't quite got to the point in their careers that they thought they'd been at by now. And, mm. you know, there's that kind of hunger not to get left behind. I think there comes a point in your career where maybe you go, right, okay, 
maybe I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. You know, he, he kind of someone like Gerard Delefeo springs to mind, right? Who who at some point just accepted that he was like, I'm going to just play for a mid-table Serie A team. And that's no disrespect to Udinese, who are a very good side. But at some point, Gerard Delefeo realized that he wasn't playing for Barcelona. He wasn't going to be playing for Barcelona. And he had to make that step away in order to kind of push onwards and and get on with his career I don't think we've reached that kind of settling point with some of these players and I think that's an exciting thing to be part of because they're really really driving on and it doesn't just happen to older players and you look at someone like Patrick Roberts right who left and and everything didn't quite go to plan those first years at Celtic were excellent he was unbelievable up at Parkhead um, and then the next thing's just didn't work out and didn't work out and didn't work out. And now he's with Trois, who, you know, again, are, there's no disrespect. They're a league outside. They were promoted last year. They're part of the City Football Group, sure. But you've seen all of these moves and, you know, it's not other clubs coming in and being like, we want Patrick Roberts. It's City being like, okay, pop out to Girona for a bit because we have good links with them. Pop out to Celtic for a bit. We have good links with them. Pop out to Trois for a bit. We have good links with them. And you see someone who was such a talent just almost accepting their fate. And and I'm glad that Fulham are targeting players who aren't doing that, who are hungry to to push themselves back to be the best that they can be. And it is exciting. And, you know, look, you know, maybe that's harsh on some players and maybe that's not how it is. And maybe you get stuck in certain situations. But it does feel like Fulham are after a particular kind of personality type almost. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and you know, that's that that desire is what you want, I think, as a coach, as Marco Silva would would want that he wants players who and he wants to be at the level and I think that's kind of the vibe really you know about across the club you know you've got a manager there who wants to be in the Premier League um you've got a squad of players who want to prove it in the Premier League because the club have dropped out twice they've had some of them had two relegations um and then you've also got the club as a whole the club as a whole want to be a mid mid-table Premier League club you've got the Khan family want to have a Premier League club they want to show off the, the the Craven Cottage and the Riverside Stand in the Premier League and I think when you have that collectively that you know that that's a real asset particularly if you want to to bounce back and and, and try and achieve that longer term finally last player and the one we haven't spoken about is the boy from Brazil and and perhaps the person who the Fulham fan base everybody all of us know least about right because all of us, it's Jack, been incredible all of us. hard it's been incredibly hard to source anything on Rodrigo Muniz <laughs> apart from the fact that he scored a bicycle kick once that everybody can see on YouTube it's a very good bicycle kick but it has been almost impossible I spent days trying to find out stuff about Rodrigo Muniz and I finally Peter have found somebody who knows what he's talking about in this <laughs> regard so I spoke to Brazilian journalist Kai Mota who is the Flamengo reporter for Globo Esport and he is going to well address you all on what you need to know about our new boy <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Kaimota. I'm from Globo Sports Brazil and I follow Flamengo here for many, many years and it's my pleasure to be in touch with all the Fulham supporters at the Fulham podcast. So uh, for me, it's an honor to be in touch with too many Londoners. I used to live in London a few years ago, so it's my pleasure mainly to talk about Rodrigo Muniz. Rodrigo Muniz is a, a very young striker who had an amazing beginning here in Flamengo but uh, the competition for him is too high. Uh, he's competing for a, a position 
with uh, Gabigol, who is the one of the the biggest idol of the history of Flamengo. So he scored the goals of the title of Brazilian League of Libertadores. He's he's uh, almost untouchable at the team. And in the bench comes Pedro. It's also a, a player from Brazilian national team. So. Uh, as a young star, it would be definitely very, very difficult for, for, for Rodrigo fight for, for a place at the team. And for me, it was a, an amazing choice for, uh, for him to go to Fulham and to go to, to, to the championship. Uh, I used to follow Fulham when Lucas Piazon, who is my friend, used to play over there. And I know that Fulham is a, it's a, a amazing place for to improve the younger talents. Uh, I, I remember that Piazon has improved a lot his football uh, while he's, he's playing over there. And I, I truly believe that Rodrigo Muniz can, can do the, the same the same st- uh, history over there, and Rodrigo is a striker. With he's not so many skillful, but he's very good in what really matters. That is score goals. He's uh, an amazing striker for one touch completion. So he can shot with both legs. He had he has an amazing head. So I truly believe that if you have patience for the adaptation in the in a very strong football as the Premier League and the Championship, he can be very successful over there. So, uh, as I said, I believe that you need to 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 have patience because not it's not that easy for a Brazilian for a young talent to to arrive at uh, this this stage of football. Uh, even being the second division, but the championship definitely it's very uh, stronger than many many championships in the first division in other places. So uh, I believe that Rodrigo can be can be a, a very good uh, player and striker for Fulham, and this way to to be back to the Premier League. So that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry for any any mistake about my English that's a long time that I I'm not going over there but uh, definitely uh, it's my pleasure to be in touch with all the Londoners and mainly all the the Fulham supporters uh, I love the Craven Cottage and I hope to be there again soon that's it big hug well thank you so much to Kai for talking to us and, and for giving us some insight on well what's been a bit of a blind alley here. But I think there's some really interesting things in, in what he said there. And and perhaps for me it was the the fact that he was sort of third in the pecking order at Flamengo, which made it difficult for him. And obviously you look at Gabigol and, and Pedro and, and they're both very, very good players. And he's gonna be behind another very good player in Mitrovic, but it does feel like he's been brought in to be the rotation nine piece in in some ways to get 10 15 minutes 20 minutes at the end of games to be able to to push on if if something goes wrong with Mitrovic and it's a show of faith from Marco Silva that they've committed to to bringing him in to committed to buying someone that Marco Silva clearly believes in and mm. and that little nugget in there that he can score goals with his left his right in his head although he's not going to be that involved in build up play I think is maybe music to some ears it's just Fulham have got a, a natural born striker again which we haven't had for ages yeah the, the backup striker is in and I think that's that's been pretty clear that we've got that and you know as he was outlining I think one of the key things I think we've 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 stressed and I think most assume anyway is that element of of patience and not just because of the fact that he's moved but because of where he is in his development 
And as you say, you know, when you when you when you're behind Gabigol, when you're behind Pedro, that makes it very difficult for a player. And yet he's he's managed to do enough in those matches. I think it was Benjamin who came on and, and talked about the different leagues and how that sort of works in Brazil and, and the different types of opponents they face. He's had those opportunities to make that impression and and, and that in turn has attracted uh, outside interest. And uh, Silva too has, has emphasised that every time he's been asked about, about Muniz, one of the first things he'll, he'll come back to is it's going to be patient, it's going to need some time. Um, and I think there is that time because of Mitrovic. Um, fingers crossed, touch wood, he doesn't get injured. I mean, I say that to now say. and then, yeah, and we come back in and suddenly uh, Rodrigo starting the first game back at Blackpool. Um, but, you know, there's going to be a lot a lot of time needed and, and and we've seen what Silva's done before with with a recruit straight from Brazil and Richarlison. And one thing I think is quite clear that we can emphasise a lot is that they're very different players, completely different players. Yeah, this is a nine, an actual nine. This is nine. a nine, yeah, a natural nine, a mobile sort of target man. Um, who does have that little turn of pace as well, um, and and seems to fit quite nicely as a, a you know as not just a Mitrovic support striker, but also as a as an option in Silva's system, which we can all see, which is very clear and clearly defined. And um, it will be that element of how quickly he gets up to speed. Having that, there is a real Portuguese core now, even with Kina coming in as well. Um, that that will make it much much easier for him. Um, and and then you know going forward, I mean he's he's now here, he's finally here. He's been at the training ground now um, after a long quarantine period, a, a complicated process, a complicated transfer process. We know go all the way back to what the end of July, and he contracted COVID, and that delayed it. So um, he's now here. He's now getting to know his new teammates, and it would be a, really interesting to see how long it does take for him to to kick on. And I think when we look back at Richarlison and, and and how he did at Watford, even though they are different players, he did hit the ground running quite quickly. Uh, and I wonder how much that was down to having a coaching staff who were able to communicate and work with him um, on a, on a very personal basis. And um, and that 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 will be something that hopefully will will support Rodrigo going forward. And uh, it's exciting. There is that sort of unknown about him. You know, time will tell if it'll be a, a good signing or not. Um, but the signs seem to be quite promising, particularly. The way in which he was received, uh, Flamengo, when 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 that news came out that he was going. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing him in action. Actually, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that is all of our signings. Um, so after the break, uh, for the final break, we are going to be answering a question about our midfield depth. Before we go, stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back to the third and final part of this Fulhamish podcast with me, Jack Collins, and athletic writer for Fulham, Mr. Peter Rutster. And Peter, I want to finish with a question which we got as an email from David Smith. And he said, hello, can you please explain why it was felt, it felt to be important to keep bolstering our midfield? I count 11 players who will be vying for a spot in our front six. Harrison Reed, Nissan Cabano, Harry Wilson, John Michael Seri, Josh Onoma, Fabio Carvalho, Alexander Mitrovic, Bobby Reed, Rodrigo Muniz, Chalaba, and Domingos Kina. That's not even including TC, Passion Anthony Nocker, Tyrese Francois, or Ivan Cavallero, geez, who I think are a level below or injured in TC's case. Surely not healthy to have so many good players on the bench. I thought maybe you'd be able to shine a light on, on why Fulham was so keen to, to push this forwards. As a lot of players, it's a lot of players. It's a lot of options, um, and I, you know that that is one of the challenges that will be. We'll be we'll be managing all those players. As I've as we mentioned earlier in the pod, there will be that rotation naturally because of the championship and how it works, and that flexibility will be really really important. 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, once if Fulham can build that momentum and maintain it, that, that there is that sort of interchange and allowing taking some people out, letting them rest, putting them back in. Um, so that that's one one side of it. I think if we break it down a bit um, and look at the positions, you know, if we actually look at who can play as a nine, you've got Mitrovic and Muniz. Uh, Mitrovic will play probably most weeks. You'd and Bobby assume. Reed in a stretch, you'd imagine. And and, and Decker over Reed. Yeah, no, I was going to say that purely because Silver's actually sort of alluded to that a little bit, um, saying that you know there are options in the squad that can offer something different, can offer that completely different type of centre forward. Um, so there is there is that side to it. And then if you look at the the wide players, um, Cabano, uh, Caballero, uh, Wilson. Uh, Kina, you could throw in there. Carv- Carv- Carvalho, you could throw in there. Decker does a read as well. And Knockart, of course. I think Knockart's probably a little bit further down the pecking order now. Mm. Um, and and you, when you look at that as an interchangeable three, say, if we were to, to take Silver System and, and turn it into a 4 2 3 1 and have those three attacking left winger, attacking fielder, right winger. So you're looking at six players and then seven if it's Anthony Knockart. Um, and, you know, I think when you. If we if we take the view that Knockout's probably a little bit further down the pecking order, you've then got a backup for each position, um, which which bodes well. And then you take the midfield, uh, you've got Josh Onamar, Nathaniel Chalabar, Harrison Reed, Jean Michel Seri, um, and then also Tyrese Francois behind them, uh, probably is the the younger option. Again, that's you know with those two positions because we've gone from a four three three to four two. Two, three, one. Um, that's two players for each. That's a backup for each one. So when you when you do actually break it down a little bit, you can see that exactly how they correlate. And to be honest, it's probably at the maximum of how strong you'd want a squad. And there is, the, I would agree. I mean, there's there is probably one too many there. There will be some happy unhappy players there because they won't get the minutes that they want. Um, and that'll be Silver's sort of challenge to sort of balance that a bit. But when you consider those who are pretty much more in the frame. Um, it's it's almost like first choice and a, and a reserve. I wouldn't say a reserve. It's hard to know which is what that will be at the moment because we're still seeing players come back in and, and, and that change and obviously the new arrivals too. So, um, but there is that fluidity with some players that can play in different positions as well. Uh, and I, I and I guess that's that's probably probably what he's getting at in that you know there are players who can play multiple positions here. Do you need a backup for each position? And I think that's a, a, a fair a, a fair assessment. But I think when you look at the quality that's come in you know there's one drops out quality can come in and that's that's a good thing yeah well also you know as we say it's often three games a week um and and in that regard there's this kind of point that you go right with a couple of injuries and and if you still want to rotate in those kind of heavy game weeks it, it gives you the options to do so and and so two in each position i i don't think is is too bad an option and that we're not you're not really talking about Tom Kearney there, and and obviously we wish the skipper all of the best. Um, you know it would be it'd be lovely to see him back into the squad. It'd be lovely to see him wearing that ten shirt again. It'd be lovely to see him wearing the armband again. Um, and congratulations if he's listening uh, on his engagement, which uh, I think took place over the course of the weekend. But um, it, you know it feels like we we've not seen TC for a while, and and hopefully you know we that comes sooner rather than later. But I suppose there's that kind of gamble you're making on it that we we don't know when that's going to be and therefore you kind of just have to plan for uh, you know potentially a, a, an extended period without him in the squad yeah I think that's I mean that's what it looks like doesn't it um with Keener coming in in particular um 
it's, it's hard to know with, with Tom Kearney because he, he's been in this position where he's only a few weeks away. He's not that far away. Oh, he's, he's back on the grass. He, he's doing some work, but then he comes back off it. It's It's been a really difficult period and certainly for him, I'm sure. And um, I guess from, from Silver's point of view, when, when he's probably, if you look at back at how that has played out and, and what's going and and you're looking ahead of the season and his own targets you know for him he wants promo- he needs to get promotion this season that's that's his that's his job that's that's what he's been tasked with and he will want the strongest squad possible to to achieve that and he's he's it looks like i mean that's what it appears like anyway considering the options there are now that he's taking the taking the view that it may not be soon so We'll have to see. We'll have to see. And if TC does come back, then there really is a selection headache because that that is a that is a lot of that is a lot of players to to juggle in in, in that in those central roles. And it was interesting because I, I was thinking back to the the Carabao Cup game against Birmingham, where Fulham rotated, and you had Tyrese Francois and Adrian Pajaziti playing in midfield, and um, obviously Jay Stansfield started, and Jay's been around the first team since the summer. Wasn't this, wasn't the case with with Adrian Pajaziti. He's been with the twenty threes most of the time. He'd impressed, but they were they were short in terms of being able to rest players, uh, particularly not not using Angisa. And it's it's quite interesting how quite quickly things can go from having players available to suddenly it looks quite light. And Silva said afterwards, you know, he was he's been impressed with Pajaziti. He's done very very well. But I don't think there was that sense of, you know, this is an option, and maybe that was something that they need to be look, looked into in in the market. Yeah, it would make plenty of sense. Um, Right, Peter, I think with that, we'll probably call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much. No, thank you, Jack. Thank you. It's It's been nice. A nice dialogue. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a one-on-one, right? It's, it's literally, you've been listening to me and Peter just yapping at each other for an hour. So thank <laughs> you so much for listening. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Thursday Club. We hope that you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, we will be back on Monday uh, looking at well, a couple of bits around the international break and starting to look forward to life again at Fulham, where we'll be travelling up to Blackpool. Thanks for listening. Take it easy. You whites. <laughs>